0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
1: We are so pleased to have with us an author and professor from Amherst College. Dan Torres, in particular, was interested in having on the show. Uh, The professor is uh, the author of a new book. Dan, you have the title?
2: Autocracy Rising, How Venezuela Transitioned to Authoritarianism.
1: And you were particularly interested in having uh, uh, Professor Javier Corrales on the show because – tell us why. Uh,
2: Well, I guess we hear a lot about Venezuelans uh, entering the United States. uh, On the southern border. On the southern border, right? That's been in the stories quite a bit. So I think there's at least a story that we have to hear about the uh, collapse in many ways of – I don't know how to else describe it, the collapse of the country, its stability, um, and sort of the trajectory, and and so I was just doing research on that.
1: Uh, we, of course, are so pleased to have with us Javier Corrales, who is the named has, holds the named chair as uh, a professor of political science at Amherst College. The name of his new book is "Autocracy Rising." Autocracy rising in Venezuela or autocracy rising in countries across well, the continent, indeed, across the globe. Professor Javier Corrales, thanks so much for being with us. How how prevalent, how much of a danger is autocracy rising?
0: Um, Well, thank you for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. During the past 15 years or so, many political scientists have become very alarmed about the fact that we're seeing what we call a phase of autocratization. Some democracies becoming less democratic and sometimes even transitioning to autocracy, that would be the case of Venezuela, uh, and existing autocracies becoming more autocratic. So though, even though this is not happening everywhere and some democracies are still safe, we are very worried about this
1: trend. Well. I would like to know – I think many people would like to know more about what has happened in Venezuela and why so many uh, citizens of Venezuela are fleeing and coming to the southern border, which I want to ask you about. But first I would like to know from you whether what has happened in Venezuela has uh, lessons for us in the United States who are in fact really worried about autocracy – Uh, uh, really becoming the norm, if Donald Trump is re-elected as president. Um, So, you know, what is interesting about Venezuela
0: is that when this process started, this process of autocratization began in the late 1990s, people didn't think that this was going to happen. So this is perhaps the first lesson. Venezuela was one of the strongest democracies uh, in Latin America and in the world. And many folks felt that institutions were gonna be holding their own and that democratic forces were strong enough. Um, But what we see is a gradual process. Every year you have more signs of autocracy until it became, at first it was hard to recognize by many folks. But then one day everybody was like, oh my God, look at where we are. The ruling party obtained full control of all the key institutions, not just the legislature, but also the courts, the uh, uh, the institutions that enforced law and order, the electoral authorities, most subnational offices, and the entire bureaucracy. And once the ruling party became so hegemonic the thing was unstoppable in many ways. So while what we're seeing in Venezuela now is kind of like a very advanced stage of autocratization, which is really very far from from where we are in the United States, there is no doubt that the early stages of this process in Venezuela offer lessons that are worth studying. These are things that were happening in Venezuela in the early 2000s.
1: Why are people fleeing Venezuela or is that simply an overstatement of the the, the uh, persons who want to make a uh, uh, political issue out of persons coming to the southern border? I guess the question is, is it real?
0: It is very real. Venezuela is probably the country that is producing the largest um, um, migration flows in the world. Certainly for a country that is not besieged by civil war, it is producing almost, uh, it has produced about 7 million migrants, um, which is extraordinary uh, for uh, the region. Um, The reasons is a combination of one of the worst economic crises in the world the crisis really began in the early 2010s and it hasn't really abated together with an intensification of repression. This is a very repressive regime that behaves in even more cruel ways than some of the autocracies we are more familiar with, such as, you know, Putin's regime in Russia. It conducts a significant degree of um arrests, house arrests, um, uh, harassment of opponents, uh, harassment of journalists, and if you end up in jail, you may never leave and you will certainly be tortured. So these are traditional tools of repression that are habitually used in Venezuela. So this combination of economic crisis with severe repression is what's driving this migration crisis.
1: Is the economic crisis in Venezuela directly linked to the autocratization, if I'm saying that correctly, of the government, or are these uh, independent phenomenon?
0: So I would say yes. I think that um, part of what has happened in um, Venezuela is that Among the institutions that the ruling party took control of were the most important economic institutions in the country, the most important uh, economic firms, not just the oil company, but uh, a number of other firms that were nationalized. And they were given to loyalists rather than to competent people, and they were given the objective of you're here, your only purpose is to provide support for us, not to ensure that the productive side would uh, triumph, would, would the productive side of, of the system would uh, uh, um, uh, flourish. So this is a type of autocracy that in my opinion, always leads to economic ruin. Not all autocracies produce economic ruin, that's very clear. Most do, but the ones, but the kind that we saw in Venezuela where the state takes over a large chunk of the, um, productive apparatus is likely to produce an economic catastrophe so there is a combination there's a relationship here between the kind of autocracy you have and the economic ruin in venezuela
2: this is dan uh, if i remember correctly i think in about 2003 there was a coup against uh chavez at that time who was elected uh, democratically and then he and which i think had some support within the bush administration at that time but the coup failed and the military brought Chavez back into power and it and that's part of, of where there was I think for me an inflection point where uh i re- I realized that Chavez now had to further consolidate power like you've been talking about within the institutions. Can you talk a little bit about that when when somebody's almost removed from power but comes back into power what what happens to the political system at that point
0: good, so when political when when presidents get into some kind of trouble. The coup happened as a result of massive protests. This is the important thing to say. So there were many, many massive protests happening in Venezuela at the time. Um, But, you know, there was a coup and it was um, kind of fixed and it is time for presidents to respond. Presidents can respond by either trying to make amends, to be conciliatory, to enter into some kind of national dialogue, to listen to the opponents, or they can crack down hard. In Venezuela, what we saw is after some initial uh, hesitancy on the part of Chavez, after that, attempt, what he decided to do is, I'm just gonna go hard on all my critics. Um, It's a very different response. It's the response that you get from undemocratic presidents. When they feel politically insecure, they decide to lash out against critics. So this is where things actually began to deteriorate when we see the way that Chavez back in the early two thousand responded to the political troubles that he was in.
2: Yeah, and if I could just quickly add, then he dies, right? Chavez dies in I think it was twenty twelve. Yes, yeah, so it's gonna take Later. a few years. He's gonna yeah. he's
0: and then, yes. and then there's a
2: new leader that comes in, and usually that what happens from what I've read about authoritarianism is when a new leader takes in, they have to consolidate power, but he doesn't have nearly the political clout, the charisma. So, what what does he do to consolidate power except further take over <clears throat> the institutions? Right. right.
0: So, Chavez's successor, Nicolas Maduro, inherits the uh, state that. Chavez left behind, but he doesn't have the political support that Chavez had. Chavez was polarizing. He had opponents, but he had supporters and Maduro doesn't have the support. And the little he had in the very beginning starts to decline very quickly. And what he does is follow the same Chavez model, which is I am going to double down and I'm going to become more and more repressive. So for example, there's a midterm election for Congress. His ruling party loses control of Congress. And what he does is he packs the Supreme Court. He gets the Supreme Court to basically argue that everything that's happening in the new legislature is invalid. And he creates a parallel institution to basically become the new legislature. So that's one of the things he does. The other thing he does, and this is very important, um, in addition to what he does with institutions is he begins to side very closely with actors in Venezuela who are engaged in drug trafficking and uh, smuggling. And he becomes a sort of patron of the uh, smuggling world. And the idea is I'll let you do this stuff. You can make a lot of money. You just have to make sure that you are good to me as as the leader. Uh, um, I will give you enough protection. Uh, uh, we, may, we may even share some spoils, but the result is that one of the tools that Maduro uses in addition to repression, in addition to institutional control, is this leaning into uh, um, a mafia state, if you will. And that's probably uh, uh, some of the most important elements in his ability to survive his incredibly low popularity. In Venezuela.
2: So I've also heard from activists, uh, Professor, and I'd love for you to discuss this, uh, who feel that a large part of the 7 million that you mentioned who have left Venezuela have come from the U.S. sanctions, that, you know, that that hit the country really hard and it's sort of caused an outflow. From the research you've done, uh, what conclusions do you make about the U.S. sanctions and the contribution to the worsening economic conditions in the country?
0: so sanctions are always meant to uh, damage the economy so we should the debate is not whether the sanctions hurt the economy or not they are supposed to do this and they do this in venezuela in a big way they are never the cause of the ailment this is really the most important thing to do and it's important that we do not exaggerate the role of sanctions in causing the decline venezuela's economy and, in fact, migration crisis predates the sanctions, the hardening of the sanctions, which, um, you know, probably became um, strong enough in 2019. Um, Look, some economies are stronger than others, and when you impose sanctions on stronger economies, they don't decline as much. The fact that in Venezuela the sanctions had a strong effect is a testament to how weak the economy was the question is and yes of course what happens is that what the government does in order to survive this economic calamity this economic blow is they are able to separate the folks who are essential for the regime to stay in office and keep them able to make money and profits and then transfer the costs of the sanctions onto innocent folks and probably the opposition. So um, this is really what began to happen. The government was able to outsmart the sanctions by figuring out a way to make money from the sanctions by engaging in informal markets. And then all the economic costs associated with the sanctions, those costs Let's channel them so that they impact our critics and or innocent folks. So, yes, the sanctions have played a role, but it is not exactly the cause of Venezuela's deep economic troubles.
1: We are speaking with Amherst College professor of political science, Javier Corrales, whose new book is Autocracy Rising, How Venezuela a Transition to Authoritarianism. I have a question to go back to, which is the lessons for the United States, given the threat. To democracy here. We'll be right back.
2: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on
0: WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: We continue our conversation with Amherst College professor of political science, Javier Corrales, whose new book is Autocracy Rising, How Venezuela Transitioned to Authoritarianism. I'd like to know I'd like you to assure me in some ways that the guardrails to the demise of democracy in Venezuela were different, less, less robust than they are in the United States, which I fear is not so much the case because Venezuela, at least by reputation, for those of us who don't follow these sort of things uh, intimately, was a stable democracy, relatively speaking. And it lost it. So democracy is not a guarantee. What are those guardrails that failed in Venezuela? So if we go back
0: to when this started in the uh, in the early two thousand, um, there are th- the most important thing to keep in mind is that we can never be fully trusting of the institutions. The institutions are only as strong as the political groups willing to defend them. And what happened in Venezuela, that is perhaps more reassuring for the United States is that back then there was a significant distaste, disagree, disapproval of the status quo. There was a significant degree of discontent that was far more widespread. So when the president begins to attack the institutions and, their, um, and the leaders who were in charge of them, He was more, he was well received or better received because there was significant discontent. Here in the United States, we haven't gotten to that point where everybody is completely uh, uh, angry at the status quo. And that I think gives us some reassurances. There is significant respect of institutions and strong groups able to defend them if they ever come under attack by a president.
1: And what institutions you are referring to what? Institutions
0: such as independent courts, independent bureaucracy, independent electoral authorities. Um, These are uh, the very basic, uh, the courts, the bureaucracy, the government agencies, and uh, electoral authorities.
1: But if the government, are you saying if the government, if if the strong leader has control over the courts and the bureaucracy and the electoral bodies, we're in deep trouble?
0: yes this is a very uh this in many ways it's sort of like a a a a terrible uh threshold to cross if those three institutions go um uh, uh, it becomes harder to reverse the process
1: professor javier corrales professor of political science at amherst college author of autocracy rising we really appreciate your time and your insights thank you so very very much